Hello, and welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, research and consulting firm providing our global clients insights, analysis, and expertise. Welcome back, everyone. Hello, hello. Hello. I'm Chris Schreiner, and I'm joined today, as usual, by my co-host, Lisa Cooper. Hello, Chris. And Derek Vita. Hello, Chris. So last week was the annual Consumer Electronics Show, which is normally held in Las Vegas, but for obvious reasons this year was done virtually, which made it uh, a CES literally like no other. Uh, What we want to do in this episode is uh, discuss our thoughts on CES, the user experience of actually attending this show virtually, uh, along with discussing some of the themes that we saw during the week. So we'll start off by talking about how well CTA pulled off the Consumer Electronics Show virtually. How did you find the experience? So first of all, credit where it's due, taking CES, which is attended by a six-figure number of people, and putting it entirely online is a massive undertaking. So big props to everybody who uh, made that happen. I think it's fantastic. Having said that, there are a few things that made it extraordinarily challenging. We cover CES for our clients to make sure that we have a good handle on the new tech and innovations that are coming down the pipe over the next uh, 1 to 15, 20 years, depending on uh, who it is that reads our reports. And so we have to look at everything. We have to go to all the exhibits, all the halls, and see what is on the minds of executives and marketing teams uh, across verticals. So with that mindset, onboarding for this CES was terrible. It took multiple efforts for me. I don't know about either of you, but I had to get support involved to get fully registered. Getting into the exhibits themselves was a bit of a challenge. There were a couple of points where the microsites or this, even the CES hosted videos just would crash or lock up my browser. Some just wouldn't even load at all. Uh, So we ended up having to contact folks separately anyway to get what we needed. And so it was, again, credit where it's due, but it was extraordinarily challenging. Yeah, for me, it was very difficult. It was just information overload. Now I I know that that can be the case in person anyway, but a lot of these videos were, the innovations were buried in a lot of advertising. So you'd have an hour video and you'd have to search uh, for the actual innovations beyond the advertising for the company. So that was a little little difficult to deal with when you're having to look at so many companies and there are 1800 exhibitors at CES. So you don't want to have to go through so many long videos in order to understand what their innovations are. So that for me was a big thing. And then also uh, you could actually create your own schedule on the website, which was nice. However, I couldn't prioritize the exhibits that I wanted to see. It was alphabetized. And I felt like sometimes some of the exhibits I put on my list disappeared. I had that same thing. So I would have really appreciated a way to prioritize the exhibits that I wanted to see or group them in some way. CES week for me is always a thoroughly exhausting week 
20, 30,000 steps a day <laughs> going from the convention center to the sands and back and meeting to meeting. This was, I felt just as exhausting, just in, in a completely different way. Just Agreed. hours of hours of watching, watching commercials and sat in front of a screen and not moving was very difficult, still very taxing. Mm -hmm. It was interesting for me to see how some of the exhibitors went about uh, showcasing their products and services. So in the uh, press conference day, you had some that were on video still looking like they were trying to talk to a CES crowd. So they were on a stage with no sound and walking around and doing the CES presentation style. And then you had others that went the complete opposite direction and put together a really thorough, seemingly expensive production mm. of doing things that they could never do live. I wonder when things return to some semblance of normality that I wonder if there'll be a hybrid model that they'll adopt. I would like to see more on-demand stuff available. Mm. Because, again, there's so many exhibitors, so much space and ground to cover. Uh, so it would be nice to have a repository like that going forward. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that you felt, either of you felt like you missed from this experience uh, not being there in person? I, I thoroughly missed going into a booth and holding something, seeing the product, seeing how much it weighed, seeing how it felt in, in my hand, talking to the demonstrator, getting a live demonstration of it rather than what they want to show me on a video. You can normally walk through a booth and in 10 or 15 seconds decide whether or not there was something there that was interesting and then move on. And that was a lot tougher to do in, mm -hmm. in a virtual CES. There's a couple of things where there's just no substitute for an in-person experience. One is a voice experience, especially in automotive where you have to sit in a cockpit, preferably on the road, so you have road noise and you're able to gauge not just the performance of the microphones, but the performance of the voice engine itself, make sure that it understands context and location. There's just no substitute. The other is, uh, again, as someone who works in automotive, uh, AV concepts or drive assistant concepts, again, actually sitting in a car, being on a road, is it centering in the lane properly? Is it identifying objects and pedestrians and roadway furniture or whatever? How is it responding? There's just, I could see suppliers make a good effort to replicate that experience virtually, but there's no substitute to, to actually being in person and looking at it. So let's talk about some of the things that we actually saw at the show. And we'll start with you, Lisa. What were some of the, the themes that stuck out to you? Definitely what we've all just been through in 2020 has informed a lot of design for sure. A lot of healthcare at home products and remote healthcare monitoring, new innovations in dedicated healthcare devices, or there'll be these remote patient monitoring platforms so that people at home can be more connected to their healthcare providers, seeing as that was a big issue in 2020. Yeah, there seemed to be a lot more of remote healthcare monitoring at this show than in any previous show, and certainly the pandemic played into that. But I think also... The industry is just at that time where we've seen uh, so many more health features in smartwatches and devices that consumers can purchase to monitor their heart rate and blood pressure and that everything is kind of coming together for that remote health monitoring to really take off. 
And what's important is that something we'd identified in earlier research that we'd done on smartwatches is this idea of any data that gets collected being integrated into electronic medical records that healthcare practitioners use. And so that's also been addressed in some of these products that I saw at CES. I feel like in general, CES is always interesting every year because you get a window into the mind and soul of executives and marketing departments, especially so if you're walking through the automotive booths that are typically in the North Hall. What I saw was a lot of marketing folks who are very obviously spending a lot of time at home with their families. And in automotive, sometimes they're using their car as an escape, even if it's just sitting in the driveway for a few hours. This was another one of those years where we saw a lot of ideas around the car as a living room and leveraging all of those screens everyone is throwing into it. So leveraging intelligent speakers, intelligent voice assistants for individualized uh, experiences or sound related in car gaming, using all those big screens to expand on a phone or console based uh, game. What's most interesting to me is I saw no fewer than three separate concepts around in-car karaoke, <laughs> using, using the in-car screens to show lyrics of the song. So essentially everybody, uh, suppliers and automakers alike, are all in on these stationary experiences in the time of COVID. Like the, we use the car to get away from our families and it's, it's safe and clean, whatever. Good news and bad news. The good news is there's certainly a market for these big immersive stationary experiences uh, with streaming video, gaming, whatever. China comes to mind, Tesla owners. The bad news is it's not a particularly big market and won't be for any of the near future. For most, the car is still and will remain a means to an end, a way to get from A to B in a safe and efficient manner and maybe be entertained along the way. So there is certainly a market for in-car karaoke, but it's not going to be either me or most of the rest of the mass market for a while. That'll come at the point where we have a lot of electric vehicles on the market and robust public charging stations and quick charging stations so that you could be at the charger for half an hour and maybe do some karaoke or do some gaming or watch a video and then move on. Yeah, but until then, uh, I have a hard time seeing a place for that. Another theme I saw was in a smart home. On one hand, you have LG who are treating it more like a service. So it's more proactive where all of the appliances speak to each other and you know about maintenance. You get the alerts about that. You get uh, They're partnering with uh, Nestle and Heinz where you can just scan their codes on their frozen foods and then your appliance will be able to cook that. Then on the other hand, you have Samsung who are treating it more like a, the kitchen is a family hub where everything happens. And so they've expanded their offerings with their smart fridges, where you can do pretty much anything on this fridge, from checking out the cameras throughout your home to drawing on the, the fridge and putting up stickers and pictures, uploading pictures to it, shopping lists, planning meals, as well as operating all of your smart appliances and Google Nest from this appliance. So I've seen quite a bit of this, actually, the refrigerator as sort of the hub for all family activity. And instead of, you know, pictures and magnets, the idea that this is just all one big screen. I feel like we've seen this at a few CESs now, mm -hmm. and now it's actually filtering into Lowe's and Home Depot. And, and how big is that market? 
And what pieces of that do you think will actually take off and which do you think are maybe not so much? I think from what I saw, this has come up from 2020 and people being stuck in their homes and this idea that everything is centering around the kitchen. So I feel like that's where that's come from and that there's more of a need for it now than there was ever before. It's not just about have a smart plug and a smart bulb and things like that. It's becoming more of a lifestyle platform. So we did research on uh, smart appliances several months ago. And what we found is that a lot of those that had smart appliances, connectivity, where one thing could talk to another or they had an app that could control it, they didn't really use it. They didn't really know it existed. It didn't provide that much usefulness for them. The only thing that was useful that really could take off if the price point was lowered a bit was something like the Samsung Family Hub the fridge with the display on it. It has to have that visual element or else consumers just don't realize that they have the feature. We see this a lot in in well in all different verticals, but in, in automotive specifically, this idea of uh, just copy and pasting an experience that works in one vertical just straight to another vertical. And saw that again quite a bit this year uh, at CES. So prime example. Uh, speaking with a, a supplier about their wonderful prediction engine for music and entertainment uh, on a home-based entertainment system, uh, and then taking that experience into the car. So we have this prediction engine that uh, can identify what music you listen to or what podcasts you listen to, and then pop up uh, suggestions in the car for you. The challenge is that people just listen to different stuff in different contexts. They listen to different music in the car versus at the gym versus on the go and, and whatever. And there might be some commonality there, but it's still very context specific. And when I asked about how that experience is being dialed into the car specifically, it wasn't really a good answer for that. This is an experience that Chris talked about in a previous report on Echo Auto, which was one of the first on-road implementations for Alexa, where you really need to have context dialed in specifically for location so that you can provide an experience that really makes sense for the car versus mobile or home. I want to talk about displays. We saw teasers about these rollable displays coming from both LG and TCL. That seems to be something coming down the, the pipeline at some point in the future, but not much information was given about yeah. either one of these products. LG's rollable phone is supposed to come out at some point this year. I'm curious to see how thick that device is to be able to roll the display up into it. TCL also teased another concept, which was a 17-inch screen that worked like a scroll. So you just sort of opened it like an old-fashioned scroll, which I think will be very interesting to see. We also saw more flexible displays, a curved display on a, on a fitness tracker. We saw some curved displays in cars. That's definitely been something that yes, has been the past couple of years, right? Yes. Oh, gosh, at least like five years we've been seeing different ideas around this. Well, Razer also, uh, they had a concept gaming chair, which looked really interesting, has a 60-inch rollout display that comes down from the backbone of the chair um, that's deployed with a touch of a button so that you can have this more immersive experience in the chair. 
that would be one of those exhibits I would want to sit down and yes. test out. Yes, yes, me too. The one last thing that I wanted to talk about that was one of the overarching themes I feel for CES this year is uh, around AVs. Uh, again, not really something that we could get a good handle on virtually, but uh, a lot of automakers and suppliers did their level best to try. Obviously, again, we can't be there to get stuck in traffic on Paradise Road, so we're just sitting here watching videos and reading press releases on AV ambitions. It was an interesting year because we saw a lot of folks saying that level five robo taxis are difficult and won't be here for a decade or more, so we need to improve on existing safety features instead, drive assistance, park assist, which is great as a human factors guy. I love hearing that. There are a few folks still clinging to this idea that robo taxis are something that we need to be talking about like for a near future thing. So GM was an excellent case study in this dichotomy. They announced that they're expanding their super cruise drive assistant to what over 20 different models by 2023, which is great. They also rolled out this weird Cadillac AV bus that you can use for a girl's night out or something like that. And, and an air taxi for some reason. So it was very odd set of viewpoints that we saw this year. All right, well, let's move on to condensed soup. Woohoo! Condensed soup. Today, we're going to take the uh, low hanging fruit of what was the best, worst, or most interesting thing that we saw at CES last week? Self docking boats. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes, I love it. So, Volvo Penta came out with a concept for an uh, automated docking system for boats. So essentially you, you drive up to the dock and automated algorithm will uh, help the boater dock their boat without hitting the dock. Uh, it's something that's been on my mind quite a bit. Reading uh, the book Uncommon Carriers by John McPhee talks a lot about how difficult it is to just drive a boat of any size from like a, a small skiff up to a super tanker because you need to worry about you know, not only your heading, but the wind and the currents and things like that. This is a fantastic idea that I'm glad someone's working on. Uh, the HMI needs a lot of work, <laughs> like we see with any drive and park assistant in a car. It's reliant on sort of tiny iconography uh, up on the display, but I love this idea. Can I cheat and have two favorite ones? <laughs> Actually, I've got three. Razor's Project Hazel is a mask that's smart. And I love it. Razor unveiled this at CES, and it's a smart mask uh, concept. It's supposed to overcome those common social interaction barriers of mask wearing. So you can actually see through it uh, to improve social interactions because you can see these facial cues, such as a smile or a laugh. And it's made from recycled plastic, which is, which is always a good thing. Also, it uses Razor, Razor's voice amp technology. Uh, which is a microphone and a built-in uh, an amplifier to enhance speech so that people can hear you as opposed to regular masks where you're all muffled. It's also very safe, an N95 mask. It also would come with a box that you could put it in where it uses UV light to sanitize the mask uh, so you can keep it clean. Second one, given all the stress this year that I'm sure most people can relate to, helium. So Helium is a clinically validated mental fitness channel. It uses VR and AR apps for the self-management of stress and anxiety. So you can actually see your stress 
through virtual reality. You can see it through fireflies and you can create things based on your stress levels, which it measures through an EEG headband or an Apple Watch. So you can actually see, visually see, how you lower your stress, which I think was really, really cool. And then the last quick shout out to Grandpad, which is <laughs> an iPad made especially for seniors. And I thought about my dad with that. So mine, I saw a few of these along this line, but the one I'll, I'll call out is a wellness toilet by Toto. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this is kind of a, a jump the shark moment where... It was, it was like the past several years with Alexa. It was like, all right, can, what, what, is, what hasn't Alexa been put in yet? It's kind of that same way now with sensors. It's like, what else could we put a sensor in? How about a toilet? And this toilet will sense your body as you sit down on it, measure skin conductivity, take other measurements of stuff while you are on the toilet. <laughs> How long do they feedback. think? How long do they think you're going to sit there for? I mean, how long does it take to measure all this stuff? In, in the videos, it was pretty instantaneous. <laughs> it was pretty instantaneous. <laughs> but that's oh dear! Kind of the moment now we are with sensors, where now everything has some kind of health and wellness sensor in it, even your commode. Of course, uh, we are publishing reports, getting into a lot more details about what we saw at CES can check those out by visiting our website at sa-ux.com or by emailing us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. We look forward to hearing from you. So that's all for today. Just a reminder that UX Soup has its own podcast webpage, ux-soup.com. There you can listen to old episodes, check out the show notes and transcripts, link to our reports, sign up to get our newsletter, and connect with us on LinkedIn and or Twitter. UX Soup, as always, is sponsored by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.